0: Over the past three seats conferences, actually blueprints or plan of action have been adopted already. I think perhaps one of the major gaps remained for the seats members and for UN system and for the international community as a whole is how we could measure the implementation, measure the progress, and how to identify the gaps and what generate additional support, including the financial resources, including the human resources and also partnership to the SIS members. So for this CIS conference, I guess one of the striking features would be we are going to develop that kind of a evaluating mechanism and then also um, reviewing criteria and also to enhance the mechanism either located in the seats members or mm. within the secretariat to help them to develop the specific timeline, what kind of specific targets can be accomplished, and then we'll see how we could move to the next step. In one word, we want to see this, the plan of action is really
1: doable. It's really operated. It's not only remained as a blueprint. So that was Li Junhua, the Under-Secretary General for Economic and Social Affairs at the United Nations, and also the Secretary General for the Fourth International Conference on SIDS, uh, colloquially called SIDS 4, which takes place in Antigua, Barbuda in May 2024, under the theme of identifying partnerships and solutions to forge a path towards resilient prosperity. I'm Matt Bishop, an academic at the University of Sheffield in Northern England and one of the directors of the Resilient and Sustainable Islands Initiative, or RESI for short, the network behind this podcast.
2: And I'm Emily Wilkinson, Senior Research Fellow at ODI and RESI Director. In today's episode, we're going to do things a little bit differently than before. We're going to spend the whole of the podcast discussing the SIDS4 conference, what it is, why it matters, how the agenda is being set... And whether it can truly generate resilient prosperity. And we're going to do this through a roundtable discussion with three insiders who are taking on the huge um, but delicate challenge of planning the summit and perhaps even more importantly developing the 10-year program of action that will be implemented by SIDS from 2024 to 2034, the Antigua and Barbuda Accord for SIDS, or ABAs, I think it's going to be called, um, which will emerge out of the summit. Welcome to Small Islands Big Picture, because what happens to them alters the big picture for all of us.
1: Before we introduce today's guests, we thought that we should spend a few minutes placing SIDS 4 in historical context. It is, as the name suggests, the fourth of the decennial UN conferences to take place that is devoted purely to small island developing states. Uh, The first was in Barbados in 1994, the second was in Mauritius in 2005, and the most recent one was in Samoa in 2014. Each of these produced an outcome document that framed the subsequent 10-year agenda for SIDS. So the first one was the Barbados Programme of Action, the second was the Mauritius Strategy, and the Samoa pathway followed them, and that comes to an end this year. So Emily, what do we think our listeners need to know about where SIDS 4 fits into the agendas of its predecessor, summits?
2: Yeah, I think the first point to make is that the agendas have become more ambitious over time. So The very first one, the Barbados Programme of Action, um, was pretty wide-ranging, covered a lot of issues. Um, It had about 14 areas of policy concern for SIDS, and these are still there. You still see those issues in the Samoa pathway for the, the last 10 years. But new agenda items have also been added. So the the Samoa pathway had 24 clauses in total with numerous objectives in there. I think perhaps 16 thematic areas um, and objectives in relation to um, shifts and um, additions um, that came with the sustainable development goals of which there are um, many. So we see an increase in the number of objectives and issues around SIDS. So it becomes more complex and it certainly becomes more complex to measure progress.
1: I think that's right. And the kind of greater ambition of the Samoa pathway is obviously laudable. Um, It reflects the reality that the pressures on SIDS have increased over time. And I think it also reflects the fact that, you know, we have more knowledge about the different problems that Sid's face, Um, and I guess it also reflects on top of that the the fact that the world is changing and that the kind of the global policy agendas in which they're implicated are widening all the time to take on issues that earlier generations perhaps didn't think about very much. At the same time, of course, their demands for development support from the international community have increased as well. but the problem that the Samoa pathway has faced is that it has suffered from quite severe implementation gaps. So it's wide ranging, which is a strength in that it covers lots of different policy areas. Uh, but that's also a weakness in the sense that it has presented quite significant challenges for what can actually be programmed, measured
2: and monitored. Yeah, so it's really obviously difficult to get the balance right you know between being ambitious in terms of covering lots of issues um, and having a lot of asks uh, or demands for the international community um, but also being kind of focused enough that you can actually achieve those things and kind of channel resources and efforts into particular issues that are really most pressing um, and I think that's the balance that SIDS are probably struggling with as well as this sort of the lack of progress in previous decades. And, you know, it's really striking when you look at the Barbados Programme of Action that some of the uh, assistance that SIDS were making back then... Are coming into now the outcome document um, for the SIDS for agenda, and I think that's really interesting. So things are like greater concessional finance, sustained capacity building and assistance, technology transfer, building institutional capacities. All of those things they're still there. So it's they obviously haven't been delivered or haven't de- been delivered adequately, and so we then we see them back in the document again. So it's quite difficult to think how they could be presented differently or how can the process generate uh, an agenda that is more implementable and that does actually result in some of those requests being fulfilled?
1: I suppose the final point here is that this is all made worse, isn't it, by a deteriorating economic and environmental outlook. So The Barbados Programme of Action began in relatively auspicious surroundings. Um, It was the first signal, really, that the international community was going to take the challenges faced by SIDS seriously. And this was grounded in wider recognition of the emerging reality of climate change and the need to find ways to engender sustainable development. The first SIDS conference took place, you know, only a decade or so after some of the very smallest island states were actually decolonized and only uh, a few years after um, the world began to conceive of development as something that had to be rendered sustainable. The Samoa pathway has had to navigate a different world I suppose in that it's intersected with two once in a century crises the global financial crisis which directly preceded it the effects of which were still playing out um, around the time of the SIDS 3 conference in Samoa in 2014, and then, of course, the COVID-19 pandemic. The challenge facing SIDS 4 this year in Antigua, um, as we discussed in a recent briefing paper looking at the global bargain that's needed to generate resilient prosperity, uh, is that it is the most important of all of the conferences because its 10-year agenda coincides with some pretty deep-seated economic, political and environmental upheaval. Um, if listeners are interested, we'll place a link to that paper in the show notes.
2: So each episode, we invite an expert guest or two to help us get behind the headlines and paint the bigger picture about an important issue for SIDS. We're devoting the whole of this podcast to to one discussion because the big picture is, well, very big indeed. We are delighted to welcome three guests who are important protagonists in the SIDS4 process and friends of RESI. Firstly, His Excellency Ambassador Luteru, who is permanent representative of Samoa to the United Nations and is also currently the Chair of the Alliance of Small Island States, AOSIS. He's playing a critical role as his government hands on the baton for the next 10-year agenda to the government of Antigua and Barbuda. We also have Tomasi Blair, who is Deputy Permanent Representative of Antigua and Barbuda to the United Nations, and he is leading the country's international diplomacy in the run-up to the summit undertaking a huge amount of work to coordinate both the SIDS 4 conference itself and inputting into the outcome document for the Antigua and Barbuda Accord for SIDS uh, that follows it. And finally, we have Dr. Simona Marinescu, who is Senior Advisor on SIDS at the UN Office for Project Services, UNOPS. Uh, Simona is responsible for coordinating the UN's efforts in relation to the SIDS4 conference. She also served for many years as the UN's permanent representative to Samoa, um, and she saw firsthand the work being undertaken to embed the Samoa pathway. Welcome, everyone. So the first question is for Tomassi. Can you talk us through the work that has been done so far um, in preparation for the SIDS4 conference? And um, why is Antigua and Barbuda hosting? How does this build on earlier summits? And what do you hope to achieve from the summit?
3: Thank you, Emily, and, and thanks to Resi for um, inviting me um, to this podcast. I think perhaps I'll start by, by indicating that Antigua and Barbuda is taking its role very seriously as host of the fourth international conference on small island developing states. That being said, our role as host is one that would allow for resilient prosperity um, uh, for SIDS. I think from the onset, when we had an interest in hosting the SIDS for, at least from the Prime Minister of Antigua and Barbuda's perspective, he looked at the global landscape and saw that there was a need for more action uh, for SIDS. And so it was within that, lin- that lens that he quickly notified the Secretary General of the United Nations of the intention of Antigua and Barbuda to host SIDS four. Then we had COVID. And I think COVID painted the picture of the need for international support for small island uh, developing states. And so we really took on our role extremely seriously, looking at the success coming out of uh, Samoa, but also realising that the global landscape has changed tremendously and there are more shocks facing SIDS. And so we are determined to ensure that at the end of this conference that the outcome document that is being produced will be able to ensure that a strong 10-year framework will be developed for SIDS and we'll be able to um, achieve resilient prosperity. So we've engaged not only with the UN system, But we've engaged with the private sector, we've engaged with civil society, we've engaged with youth in trying to have this wholesome approach in ensuring that every stakeholder is on board and everyone is playing a a critical role in ensuring that this uh, conference is extremely successful.
2: Yeah, great. Can you give us a sense of what will actually happen at the conference itself? Just for listeners who might not have been at a UN conference before, what what will what will happen during those days when so many people converge on Antigua and Barbuda?
3: At least from our vision, this conference would be a conference of a difference. It is not taking shape in the traditional manner of UN conferences, where you have a heads of state or heads of governments or ministers taking a stage and just making statements. For us, it's a robust discussions that would produce tangible outcomes out of each session. So, of course, we would have the standard uh, statements um, that we made by heads of state and governments. But then we will be engaging in five thematic roundtables. We'll also be engaging in high-level events, such as a private sector forum, a civil so- uh, society forum. We will also be engaging in ICID's Youth Summit, and a gender forum. And all of these forums, along with um, a high-level meeting with the participation of the international financial institutions, all of these events and high-level meetings will produce a declaration for each of their segment. And so towards the end of the conference, we would have a moment of declarations where each of these events will take the stage and declare what they intend to do to support SIDS for the
1: next uh, 10-year framework.
2: Thanks very much.
1: Okay, so the second question is to Ambassador Luteru. Um, there is already in what the diplomacy business is called a zero draft of the summit communique. Uh, can you give our listeners a sneak preview of what is in the communique um, and how it will frame the next 10-year agenda that comes out of the SIDS4 conference and perhaps also give a sense of how it builds on the work that Samoa has done over the past 10 years?
4: Thank thank you very much, Matt. And uh... Good morning to everyone from New York. Look, the, the process in terms of the preparation and the drafting of the zero draft is, is not new. But what is important is, firstly, to ensure that it's a member-state-driven process. So what we had done in, was to seek those views and perspective and guidance and direction from our member states, and we held three regional meetings and out of those regional meetings we compiled uh, the priorities as identified by member states from those regions. What we then did was we met again and the purpose of that meeting was to bring together all these uh, regional perspectives and I'm trying to emphasize the regional perspective nature of it. We have our own regional priorities and challenges and that, but we want to ensure that what comes out of the document represents the collective priorities of all small island developing states. You know, And I think that is important in terms of inclusiveness and uh, the feeling of ownership. So we put these all together. And one of the things that was very clear, we felt that on this occasion, we did not want to just go on listing again <clears throat> these priorities. I think when you look at the Samoa pathway, we had identified about 16 thematic uh, areas. But we felt that we need to focus and concentrate on those areas where we can see the most impact in terms of Sit's development moving forward. So that is what we did. And, and if you look at then at the structure of the document, we said we need to tell the Sit story, where we've been, where we are now. And I think that that is important. That takes on also some of the, the challenge that we face under the Samoa Pathway and other, you know, the Barbados plan of action and the Mauritius uh, strategy. So those are all very important. And we had that first uh, part of the document, the zero draft, which sort of focused on that, the the SIDS story up to now. The second part then was to say, what do we as SIDS want? I think that's important. We we also collectively agree that we weren't going to again focus too much on these sort of challenges but i think we we want to highlight what these were and resilient economies very much in line with the theme of the conference the second aspect of uh, of what sits one is a safe and prosperous society i think that goes without saying and that focus on issues of health, strong institution gender equality, et cetera, et cetera. The third aspect is secure future uh, for SIDS. We want a secure future. and What do we need to to do to ensure that we get there? And then the fourth and very important uh, part of what we want is the environmental protection and planetary sustainability. So that gives you in four sort of subheadings uh, what SIDs want over the next uh, 10 years. But perhaps the most important part is really how do we uh, get there now. We need to focus on this in terms of action so that we can then achieve uh, what we want. So, you know, we've we've looked at things like access to finance. I, I think, again, uh, there is a link uh, between this and our... Uh, initiative and efforts in terms of the multi-dimensional vulnerability index, because it highlights and brings to the fore uh, the importance of this issue of access to finance. Scaling up uh, climate finance—that's obvious—but perhaps one of the key aspects is the issue of data, and and I think that that's another critically important action-oriented sort of focus in terms of what SIDs need to do uh, to achieve what we want. Science, technology, innovation, again, those goes without uh, saying. Productive population. And then finally, the issue of partnership. And as you know, at the moment, uh, EOSIS is working with DEC, OECD, in terms of perhaps focusing on this issue of partnership, and we've narrowed it down to five areas, and there's a little bit more work that needs to be done, and I think uh, ODI is also very much involved in this uh, work. And then the serial draft, you know, the final two section of it is is basically asking for a more effective UN um, to support SIDS over this next 10 years. I think that's critically important in terms of the plan of action that hopefully will be the outcome of the consultation that are taking place. And finally, monitoring and evaluation. Again, the critical need of putting in place a monitoring and evaluation framework because we need to keep track of whether we are successful. And if we are not, what do we need to do in terms of realigning, et cetera, et cetera. So that basically is the sort of frame of the document. But now the more important part is now we're getting into the actual uh, negotiation uh, you know, with member states. And the next prep come, which will be in the first week of uh, April, then we will be in a much better position to finalise the outcome document, which our leaders will consider at the fourth SITS uh, conference in Antigua and Barbuda. So, sorry to take a bit longer, but I think it's important in the context of uh, clarity of what SITS are uh, doing and what we hope and our objective in terms of the next 10 years.
1: That was a fantastic overview of the process. And um, Emily and I were in New York last week for the prepcom or at least the early part of the prepcom and it did seem that there was a huge amount of support from the international community in general um in terms of supporting the objectives that SIDS governments as a whole are seeking to achieve.
2: Um, So the next question is for Simona really. One of the interesting items in in the uh, SIDS for outcome document is this idea of establishing a centre of excellence, which has a number of kind of elements to it. And I'm very pleased this initiative is really moving ahead. Can you tell us a bit more about it? What is the SIDS centre of excellence and what can we hope for it to be doing to support SIDS over the next 10 years?
5: Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Wilkinson, and um, thank you, Resi, for continuing to hold very important conversations linked to the um, next 10-year agenda for small island developing states. Um, I would like to um, congratulate from the very beginning the Alliance of Small Island States and the government of Antigua and Barbuda for having led a very strong process of consultations towards the development of the Next 10 Year Agenda. I think we were in London when we spoke about a multi-tier approach to the next 10 years, starting with, of course, a negotiated document, which is the in a zero-draft stage at this time. And adding to that... Uh, two elements of novelty, something that we did not have in the Barbados Program of Action or in the Mauritius Strategy or even in the Samoa Pathway, which are a center of excellence, an institutionalized component of the next 10-year agenda, as well as the um, Island Investment Forum, which would mean a regular get-together to review the relevance of the 10-year agenda, as no 10-year agenda could actually remain uh, relevant into our... Um, constantly changing world. The Center of Excellence as it stands right now, to include the Global Data Hub for SEEDS, this was the first component that was actually firmed up through a partnership, uh, Antigua and Barbuda, the Alliance of Small Island States, and the Public Foundation, uh, concluding a, mem- a memorandum of understanding on 20th of September alongside the 78th ONGA, And then um, a partnership framework agreement was uh, signed off in Antigua and Barbuda with more details on, again, this component, the Global Data Hub. But the center of excellence is meant to be an intergovernmental institution to go beyond the actual data management uh, component. Data is crucially important to ensure that the implementation of the next 10 agenda is evidence-based. SEEDs have always had a problem with securing internationally recognized data with their small capacities. The Center of Excellence is meant to attach to the Global Data Hub a series of communities of practice uh, along key topics of the 10-year agenda that Ambassador Lutero spoke about. SEEDs want to have stronger productive capacities in the next 10 years to secure resilience and a lot of work is needed that the center could support. So again, this institution will ensure that there is a proper secretariat support to the um, implementation of the next 10-year agenda, constant uh, monitoring and reporting, as well as fostering uh, brainstorming discussions, policy uh, analysis to um, help seeds navigate those very complex 10 years. As mentioned, the um, Island Investment Forum, that is a component of how the Center of Excellence will operate, will allow all of the stakeholders to meet regularly and look into the progress that the um, agenda has has made to date and possibly change course or look into uh, new ways of uh, partnering to support the goals of SEEDS. We think that this institution will be a complement to what uh, the UN and other partners have to offer, but at the same time, it will be critically important to complement government capacities to help those small governments in small island developing states have access to new training programs, to new certifications, to learn uh, new things, and again, the center itself to assist seeds to access new financing instruments. So it's a very complex, scope that the Center of Excellence wants to have. And I rely on, on our good partnership with ODI and Resi on our constant consultations as to how we could support SEEDS to make it um, a success. So we the launch of the Center of Excellence and of the Global Data Hub for SEEDS um, is scheduled for the conference itself. So we will all be in Antigua and Barbuda to see it uh, come uh, to life
2: thanks a lot simona and of course yeah we're very happy to con- to continue to engage on this um it sounds like a you know a great initiative so much of what we've discussed in previous episodes of this podcast has been in relation to the the need for sustained capacity support and development in SIDS, you know, avoiding these just kind of one-off initiatives. Um, lots of the challenges SIDS face in relation to debt sustainability, access to finance, dealing with sea level rise and migration, really all the topics that we've spoken about so far have pointed to the, the importance of having this kind of sustained um institutional capacity building and i think this this sounds like it ticks all the boxes so we're really happy to continue to engage as this initiative develops
1: it seems to me that the island investment forum is particularly important as well um, I and mean, we've jokingly talked in the past that sids would require their own davos and it seems to me that that's very much the case because they're often squeezed out of those bigger global financing conversations and um, we've got one final question for all three of you so we'll maybe go in the same order that we we have done and it's to do with this concept of resilient prosperity so this is something that has emerged in in the early conversations that have been had over the last year or so um, planning for the sids 4 conference and it seems to have stuck it's a concept that that everybody seems to have been quite happy to take on board and it's framed the agenda explicitly what does resilient prosperity mean to all of you um, and how do we get there by 2034? Um, and perhaps even more importantly, how will we know when we've got there? We'll start with Tomasi. Thank you. Thank you, Matt.
3: There have been conversations, um, numerous conversations, um, that SIDS have made tremendous strides in the last uh, decade in in how we address our vulnerabilities. And I think for us as Antigua and Barbuda, as the host um, of, of SIDS 4, we have always wondered whether or not SIDS have truly made strides, or we have just learned to deal with our vulnerabilities. And so when we look at resilient prosperity, we look at it from that perspective, Um, comparing the last 10 years of SIDS and perhaps where we need to go um, going forward. I think the argument that, that we consistently make, I think unlike any other group of countries, SIDS cannot graduate from being SIDS. And so how do we ensure that while we can't graduate, we're able to respond effectively to our vulnerabilities and the external shocks um, that we faced. And so resilient prosperity simply means sustained growth and, ingre- and increased resilience against environmental, economic and social challenges that, that we often face. Um, I think also for us resilient prosperity would mean that we're able to improve our governance uh, for long-term sustainability. It also means that we are less dependent on on support from the international community. And so we can now at seemingly, um, in, in a way, respond to some of the shocks um, ourselves. Um, how do we know when we get there? Interesting question. <laughs> I think we will know when, when, when we get there, or the road to getting there is how we respond to shocks after the, 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 the next 10-year frameworks. I think COVID has showed us um, that while the world was able to, I guess, adjust... And perhaps uh, bounce back effectively from the phases of the pandemic. It was a longer duration for SIDS, and perhaps maybe this could be a measuring tool um, based on the next shock. Whether or not this 10-year framework has equipped SIDS in a manner in which we're able to perhaps um, replicate how the international community has been able to respond to shocks and, and ensure that our our growth and sustainability uh, continues. Um, for the next uh, 10 years. Um, just just one, one, one final point that I do want to make is that um, Prime Minister Bonaventig and Barbuda um, has often said is that it is his hope and it is his vision that perhaps this would be the last 10-year framework for SIDS. And so the next iteration of how the UN system looks at SIDS would not be so much based on responding to shocks but just ensuring that seeds are able to continue to grow and continue to grow and continue to grow. We're hoping that the elements contained in the Zero Draft would lead to that process of equipping seeds for resilient prosperity.
1: Wonderful. Thanks, Tomasi. Uh, Ambassador Lutero.
4: Thank you very much. Uh, I, I think Tomasi has sort of basically uh, touched on uh, some of the key issues, but uh, per- perhaps a starting point for us goes through the recognition by the international community of our special circumstances. Uh, And and I think that that is critically important in terms of putting into context why we as SIDs are where we are. And and I think the issue of resilience uh, is sometimes very difficult. We we just completed the the high level panel on the MVI, and I think one of the things that we uh, acknowledge is that you know vulnerability or the absence of it, uh, which I'm not quite sure that that can be achieved, uh, does not mean that you do away with the vulnerability aspect of small island developing states. So, you know, resilience in a way is increasing our ability to cope. And, and I think uh, what uh, Tomasi has referred to, for example, external shocks, whether these are economic in nature, whether they are environmental or social, uh, is important. I think it's also uh, important to recognize that vulnerability does not mean that sits, demonstrate, or accept uh, weakness or lack of potential for development. And I think when you read the first part uh, of the Zero document, those are the sort of principles that we have laid out uh, because I think the international community needs to be reminded. Now, as we move forward, there will be The landscape in terms of how we cooperate and partner with uh, our partners is also important. Our statement as EOSIS, we have acknowledged that we cannot do this on our own, that it's important uh, for the international community to partner with us. Um, And that is important in terms also of our next 10-year Uh, development blueprint. So, you know, just to add those few remarks to what uh, Tomasi has also said. Thank you.
5: Obviously, resilience is a prerequisite for sustainable development. The entire 2030 agenda is premised on countries strengthening their capacity to sustain progress and um, ensure that growth, as uh, both uh, Tomasi and Ambassador uh, Lutero mentioned, uh, remains uh, a constant reality of small island developing states. But I would like to go a little deeper into that because this has been constantly the topic of our negotiations in the zero draft um, outcome document. SEEDs are aware of the fact that to reduce losses, and that's, that's my answer to your question, how do we know we got there? By um, witnessing reduced losses that SEEDs experienced through shocks, we know that we are advancing on on the right uh, pathway of strengthening resilience. So seeds are aware that to become more resilient, to sustain growth, they need stronger economic foundations. And for that, they need stronger productive capacities, which is a concept that is in the zero draft document. So seeds would need stronger human capitals, uh, natural capitals that are being protected, and then they would need a strong and clean energy systems, transport and infrastructure. And obviously, um, ICT, the digitalization component is critical. We would like to have a smart island-based services provided across uh, remote uh, communities in seeds which is, again, a prerequisite for, for resilience and for sustainable development. We need private sector, we need public institutions that are functional, and we also need opportunities for higher productivity jobs in the economies of seeds. So a very ambitious agenda to strengthen productive capacities, to ensure that we reduce brain drain, that human capitals continue to expand in small island states, and obviously ensuring that reliance on imports, uh, unidimensional trade, if you wish, dependence on the rest of the world are better managed. We uh, saw through uh, COVID-19 that seeds were uh, badly affected because of the disruptions in in trade. We would like to uh, have seeds manage better this kind of uh, vulnerability. So I would just say that uh, it's a very difficult uh, process moving forward. We will continue to monitor the losses that seeds experience through shocks. There will be shocks. There is no way that we could avoid that. Ambassador Lutero spoke about the inherent features of seeds that would continue to make them vulnerable to all sorts of shocks. But by ensuring that shocks uh, have a a lighter and more manageable impact on their economies, on their human capitals, we um, know that we are advancing towards resilient growth, resilient prosperity as the central topic of the next 10-year agenda. I'll conclude by saying that this is not something that SEEDS could achieve alone. They would need to have a very conducive uh, environment in terms of access to financing. Let's make it very clear here, uh, the agenda comes with a cost that they cannot cover themselves. So we would not be able to achieve resilient prosperity without a functional international financial architecture without, again, uh, strong uh, partnerships and without seeds becoming investment ready. So that's what the investment, the Island Investment Forum wants to achieve to ensure that the potentials that seeds have are very clear to investors and more um, investment, incoming capital will end on, on the shores of those islands. And we thank you once again for having been the, our... Uh, partners and for having uh, contributed to uh, the new thinking as to what the growth model of SEEDS should look like and what the pathway to achieve the goals of the next 10 year agenda should be. Thank you.
2: Thanks. So that's great. Um, Just to say that on that that last point, Simona, we are going to be convening partner organizations in New York on the 4th and 5th of March for a SIDS Future Forum to discuss in further detail some of these pathways to resilient prosperity. So I look forward to seeing you all there.
1: Absolutely. Here at Resi we will be co-hosting alongside AOSIS and various UN agencies as well as Island Innovation the first ever SIDS Future Forum. At day one is an in-person event for academic researchers, experts on SIDS. Much of this event will be streamed online for those that are interested, and the papers, along with some blog versions of those papers, will be available uh, online and publicised closer to the time. The second day will be a purely civil society-focused event, and this will take place wholly online. So if you're keen to be involved in that in some way, then please keep an eye out for information on how to do so. Much of this will be publicised via the island Innovation social media channels.
2: Yeah, there's there's much, much more that can be said about what comes after the summit, like whether we're going to see a big shift in gear in SID's diplomacy and engagement on these kind of big global issues like MDB reform. What's How are they going to really sort of step up their, their demands through these, these global reform processes to be able to implement the agenda? Um, this is really interesting and a theme that we're going to keep returning to in future podcasts.
1: Next time on Small Island's Big Picture, we will be talking about something that is vital for small island survival, a global industry that carries $14 trillion worth of products annually and which generates 3% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions, but is rarely discussed in policy debates about SIDS. Of course, I'm talking about shipping and the crucial role it plays in maintaining connectivity between islands and the wider world.
2: And we want to hear from you so if there's anything that you think we should be covering in the podcast please send your questions and comments to info at ODI.org.uk with small islands in the subject line. Feel free to rate, subscribe and share. You've been listening to Small Islands Big Picture from the Resi Network at ODI.